Welcome back to the Quiet on Set podcast powered by Cineman. I'm Ian Graf and as always, I'm joined by Lachlan Teeley. Uh, on episode 150, we'll have a moment of silence. Why? Because a movie I was anticipating for this year's release has been delayed. Very sad. It's very sad. Uh, then I got a bit of an in-depth look of what's been happening with the WGA strike uh, over the month of August. And I got some brief thoughts on Blue Beetle, Vacation Friends 2, and you are so not invited to my bat mitzvah. Why not? I didn't I even mean, know you were Jewish. <laughs> I converted uh, because Adam Sandler turns out he's Jewish. And I was like, I want to be in one of those Happy Madison productions. Oh, shocker. Uh, finally, Ewan and I will be discussing the latest A24 flick out on VOD already, Past Lives. Yes, very much looking forward to that. So let's queue up the intro and get into the show. We are it professionals. Is, this, is, this is a professional podcast. Yes. Breaking that and better for song. Hello there. <laughs> Which actually, Did you this get is going to be a bit... well? Um, yes. So I've got Dune Cam. <laughs> it's just a camera <laughs> with my Dune steelbook. All right, welcome back, Lachlan. It is a sad week, and I think... Do we want to just... to look. I'm worried. <laughs> yeah, this, do you want to address the new camera, camera angle? angle? <laughs> yeah, so anyone who's watching the video, I've put the camera smack bang in the middle of the desk, and I hate it because I don't like my monitors being separated. I've got two, and it's in the middle, and I don't know where to look. Do I look down? Is this weird? Is this you, weird, Ewan? <laughs> it's like that uh, I can, frog I can, thing, like, that, that meme with oh, like the no, stretched eyes. <laughs> I just, I don't know. I don't know what to do because it makes me uncomfortable with the camera right in the middle of my desk. I, I prefer it to be either back where it was, up there, but it's like, it's very different. I usually, in the same spot, this is how I sit and it's like a side profile, but now I'm, mm-hmm. I just don't know. I, I want it to be a bit on. more like you, you, and I guess I want it to be a bit more symmetrical. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I love that. I, I specifically set it up like this. I don't know, when I, when I look at your screen right now, I feel like you're, you're in one of the sequels to one of those horror flicks that was like completely set on a, on a screen and I feel like... Something's going to pop out (laughs) behind you or something like that. (laughs) Something creepy. Um, But yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Maybe you'll change it up a bit uh, in the coming weeks. That's always exciting to see uh, visual changes uh, there. But um, we have sad news. And that is uh, that Dune 2 has been pushed back to next year. I believe it's uh, moved from November to March uh, 2024 um, and would have been one of the big releases for the end of the year and uh yeah has now moved out of 2023 uh it was the biggest uh film i think set to premiere for the rest of the year and uh unfortunately because the strikes are um still no uh, not nearing any any end um we'll get into that in actually a second i'll give you a bit of a breakdown similar to the covid era uh movies are getting pushed again which is so harmful especially considering that it's been uh, on a bit of an upswing uh, with Barbie and Oppenheimer recently, uh, and they kind of are losing that momentum again, and it's just really, really stupid and frustrating. Uh, but Lachlan, between the two of us, you're the bigger Dune fan. Uh, do you have any any other thoughts on on this delay? And there's gonna there was gonna come a time where these strikes and the the disagreements that each party has with each other is is going to cause issues to people outside this world now. For us, mm-hmm. we could we kind of saw this one coming. I'm not gonna lie, we yeah. we did see movie delays happening, and I think it was like less than a month ago they actually said no, there's no plans to actually push Dune back. Shocker, they have. So now the strikes are not only affecting people who are having their 
not being paid residuals and, you know, all this stuff that's happening within the strikes. We've now mm-hmm. got films being delayed, which are going to affect greater audiences. And, and that kind of sucks because we're going to be having less productions coming out in the next year, next two years, because this strike has been going on for a while and productions have been delayed. So yeah. it's already taken effect with, we're not going to be getting as much stuff coming out. And I can see that affecting money revenue for these companies because, man, I'm ready to cancel Disney Plus once Ahsoka ends. Yeah, I recently had an issue where I actually got like a notification that um, something's wrong with my Disney Plus account and it's now locking everyone out. I, I know you were initially on my plan as well, but it, it's now locked everyone out who was on my plan um, and wouldn't let them log in even if I gave them like uh, all of the necessary information. Uh, I never liked the Disney Plus service. I think it, it, it is dog shit. It, it looks really bad. Uh, it's got like a bad alg- algorithm and it plays um, really actually low quality, in, in my opinion, compared to like some other streamers. Um, and yeah, Disney is still one of uh, the people holding this up. And I think that Warner Brothers here is, I think, strategically using some a bo- big movie like this to get the frustration up of the strikes ongoing and trying maybe to get a deal obviously more favored for them because the general audiences, as much as they uh, support the, the, the writers and especially the, the actors uh, in the strike here vocally because they, they are more known, the frustration also lands probably uh, before it lands on um, someone, like for a general audience on a studio, it lands with the actors because uh, they are like the identifiable faces here. But uh, it, it's frustrating when um, we get to actually I'll, I'll talk about that in a second I do want to talk about some traders before I, I do that and give you a strike update um, but the way that the AMPTP has been behaving is uh, a bit childish to be honest uh, they're, they're just not really good people they're just kind of uh, money hungry uh, lizards in my opinion they're just like ugh, really don't like them um, but there were two traders uh, that uh, looked kind of interesting uh, first up was uh, Rebel Moon from Zack Snyder. And you said that you are looking forward to this one quite a bit. Seeing the trailer, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> this looks so much better than I expected. Uh, Lachlan, what did you make of the trailer? Man, it got me so hyped. Uh, I I want to see him fly, you know? He, he can do yeah. some pretty incredible stuff, Zack Snyder, from a visual mm-hmm. standpoint. And you and I both love that kind of stuff when it comes to our movies. But knowing that he pitched this idea as a Star Wars movie, and now they were like, nah, and he can do whatever he wants with it. I'm hoping yeah. it's like an R-rated Star Wars flick because there, there are lightsabers in the film and there's yeah. like flying creatures in the film. I mean, I'm just, I'm losing my mind. So I, I know that we spoke recently about what, like what's the next big like franchise. Man, if this movie can like explode and then Netflix do spinoffs and they're all by Zack Snyder and this is all he does for the rest of his life, yeah, man, I'm I'm happy. I'll be happy. I think uh, like the, the funny thing, the funniest thing was coming out of all of this is like that I saw on on X or on Twitter or whatever you want to name it, um, is that uh, there was already like an interview with Zack Snyder where he said like, oh yeah, I got a director's cut that has like another hour of it. I was like, fucking hell, oh, you're on man. Netflix, man. It's so annoying. Just make the release movie the and Snyder cut. <laughs> Release the Snyder Cut. Oh, man, I just Jesus. want him to do Snyder Cuts the in, his entire life. I don't want anyone to be cutting his stuff yeah. for theatrical releases. I want to see his version every time. Yeah, I'm just... Uh, look, he, he's, I think he's not Jewish, but I'd love to see, like, a documentary-style thing where it's about, like, his his uh, son and then... 
And then it's a oh, no, okay. no, early on, and it's a Snyder cut, and sure. it goes up and cuts the fucking foreskin of his. That would be the ultimate conclusion. That is not where I thought that joke was gonna go. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm just, <laughs> I'm sick of it. I think Netflix is the perfect pl- platform though for this, where uh, you just like do it while it's happening, and you could have two versions mm. um, up uh, where it's like, hey, one of them is an extended cut. Um, none of the streamers are actually like really doing that, uh, where they have commentaries and stuff like that available. Um, I think someone like Zack Snyder would be the perfect entryway because there's a ton of interest from his fans as well um, to actually do something like this. Uh, but knowing Netflix, because they're uh, stupid, uh, they probably won't be doing that. But um, that I think that would be like the best way to go about it. Um, have like, yeah, something for the Snyder heads specifically. And then the reveal as well, it's going to be a two-parter. Uh, what do you think about this? Like we, we've had way more uh two-parters in, in recent years again yeah no i think it's a great move because it's just it, they realize they had a lot of content and they can't do it in one film you can't do a four-hour film and people are going to watch it every time the snyder cut for justice league as much as i rant on about it mm-hmm. it's not for everybody because it's too long of a film but yeah. what you do realize is that well, well sorry what i should say is that they have realized they have too much content. They don't want to cut it. They negotiate a deal where they can do two separate films. And that just is going to make it better. Like imagine them trying to do like both a new hope and uh, I don't know, empire strikes back uh, and, and also squeeze that into like a four hour film. I was trying, I, I, yeah. I kind of, myself <laughs> Wait, back. I, was point, like, I was like, I was thinking like, could a new hope and empire strikes back be in one film? And I was thinking about all the fluff that are in that film, in those films. So maybe, maybe they yeah. could do it as one long film, but I'd still prefer it as a trilogy. But anyway, I mean, yeah, I'm glad. It's I think this, yeah, I think this is going to be like one continued story broken up. It's more in that vein where, like, something like your example here. I think there's a couple of years between A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back. So mm. back, yeah. back. Uh, but yeah, I think it's also interesting that um, they're doing the thing that uh, Across the Spider-Wars would have, have loved to have done. They got like a year pod, right? In this, it's only like four months, um, and, mm. which goes alongside a uh, recent Netflix strategy to like space out their content uh, maybe like a month and a half to two months apart. So I assume it's to boost like subscription and to counteract just the, like the binge model. Um, a, a bit because they are dropping all of the stuff right not week to week but in one go and if they split it up maybe in two goes then it stays a bit more in the zeitgeist but i mean the turnaround for uh the only show which we'll get to a bit more in what we've been watching um that has kind of had a bit of a a, a staying power uh in in recent memory is the bear uh apart from like the stuff that just ended last may um i think that one kind of stuck around week to week and people have been talking about it uh longer uh but yeah that's rebel moon uh releases later this year on netflix and uh yeah looking forward to this one i wouldn't have thought that i'm looking forward to a Zack snyder film but i'm actually kind of keen uh especially now that like ahsoka has come out and it's one of promising. us one of us <laughs> okay yeah, yeah sh- sure sure you can you can count me in i wouldn't say i'm an ally uh or a friend uh but i'm neither a foe as well um <laughs> And uh, that's another trailer called Foe uh, from Amazon Studios with Saoirse Ronan and Paul Mescal. So you already got me 
hella interested uh, for this one. And it's like more of those uh, Loki, uh, what is it called? A Loki sci-fi uh, sci or like low, f it's not lo-fi. <laughs> That's the music style. What are they called? Like when there's when there's a, like a background of of something science fiction going on in the story, but it's more about like the interpersonal relationship. It's more about the drama. I think there's there's like a specific type uh of, like of name for that type of subgenre. But um, this is like more my my speed. Uh, it, it looks to me like there's a bit much going on where like there's an explosion of emotions where. I would kind of love to see something maybe a bit more subtle, but uh, what did you make of the trailer? I liked it. I'm keen. This is kind of the movie that I, I like, so uh, I yeah. will definitely be waiting for it. Uh, I'll be looking forward to this one as well, so go check them out yourself. And uh, Lachlan, uh, I think you have a news item you want to get to uh, before we yeah, get to the right just track. a quick one, because this yep. one really pisses me off, and I feel mm -hmm. like I need to bring it up uh, because it really is annoying. Uh, funnily enough, we're talking about Disney Plus earlier. Uh, yeah. Disney will no longer be releasing DVDs and Blu-rays in Australia, and oh. it really like not at all annoys me. Not at all. Uh, Wait, but they just announced is... like that they're doing like Steelbook or like DVD Blu-rays for WandaVision and stuff like that. And there was the controversy that there's no disc in it. Not doing it anything so, at all. No physical. There's movie. there's gonna be those releases, I believe, but they're gonna end oh, up okay. no longer releasing physical media. Uh, in Australia after the Guardians of the Galaxy run uh, in, this month. It wasn't okay. super successful, but it, it's a little bit annoying because, one, uh, there's a massive collecting standpoint to physical media, and if you compare yeah. physical media to streaming, physical media beats streaming quality by a fucking yeah. mile, which is why mm -hmm. I have a bunch of movies that I absolutely adore on physical disc even though yeah. i can watch it at any point in time on any device anywhere in the world because i have it on streaming but that's not my point yeah. my point is that there is a version of the film that is always going to be superiorly like superiorly better and that is going to be physical media so it annoys yeah. me because disney's obviously a massive corporation there's a lot of films that come under the disney head uh and that's going to be a little bit annoying especially because we all know that australian internet isn't the greatest fucking thing in the world and yeah. uh, relying on streaming is is not a way of uh, supporting your films post-launch because, mm -hmm. as we all know, like it, physical media is where you can pick up some of the box office misses and yeah. they're not going to have that anymore. They're just going to go straight to Disney+. Plus. So that's just a little news story that from Australia that probably no one cares about unless you're from Australia. I mean, but, man, uh, I'm going to be know. so mad if I can't get certain movies on 4K. It's it's got larger implications for um for where they want to be heading. Um, like they they did something like this thirty years ago, maybe forty years ago already, where they like were really limiting the amount of VHS tapes that were in circulation for their classical movies. So like my um one of my an ex girlfriend of mine um their parents had like a collection of a bunch of like old school Disney movies and. Like, a, mm. a bunch of them were, like, a couple thousand bucks worth because they were so rare. And I, I think it's, like, that kind of forced thing that they wanted to create here. I think here it's more about, like, driving them all to this, like, one thing they really want to work, and that's that's Disney+. Plus. Uh, but as we've seen with Netflix, there is, there is, like, a limit to it. 
um, where it is a uh, subscriber cap. And once you reach that, what the fuck do we do? Uh, this, oh my god, I, I don't know. This is this is just bad news all around. <laughs> this week is a bad week for news, yeah, man. The apart the, from the, the trailers, the craziest thing about this is uh, I was reading a lot of forums about it, and I, I know that I, I've joking about like you know sailing the seven seas in the past uh, to to get certain things, but there is yeah. going to be a resurgence in piracy yeah. in the next five years for sure i mean yeah uh, because, because it's the contract of preservation of, of preserving these things and if you don't have something like a criterion channel that preserves someone like agnes vada or igma bergman or there got you got portrait of a lady on fire um, flex. <laughs> i had to get that from the states by the what way it cost flex. me so much money sure. um and like I, I love that i can hold on to this like forever unless it breaks it's it's mine and even when you rent something like a Disney film on YouTube or in iTunes or whatever you get, wherever you get your movies, you're always holding on to the license that that service has to that movie. You're not having it forever. It's the same system as like for games with Steam. You, you don't own these games. You just license them until that service is no longer provided. And for an art form like this, uh, yeah, uh, it's it's a bit of a pity that we're steering more into that direction where... The studios don't really want to make an effort for people to, I guess, do that. But I, I guess phys physical media sales are also uh, down uh, qu by quite a bit. Is that maybe the reason physical why Physical media it? sales are down, but that is obviously from the rise of streaming services, right? Yeah. It's, it's the same as like rental. Rental went down because yeah. of streaming services. Streaming services make it very easy to get it. And if I'm, and again, for most people, streaming is okay. Streaming is fine. The quality is fine. The TV they're watching it on is going to do enough pro post processing, upscaling to make it look decent. But for people who yeah. really want to enjoy the most of their films, for someone like myself, I buy it physically and I watch it on that. Like there was the other yeah. day, we're about to go to bed and, you know, my partner's looking at uh, watching a movie literally goes and selects everything everywhere all at once and i pause the movie i walk <laughs> over to the tv i put the disc in and i'm like we're watching it on this because i'm not gonna watch it on something yeah. that's like less uh quality than something i already have so yeah again there's a, there's more arguments in here for different worlds but for people who want to watch their movies on the best quality they can it has to be physical media now mm. it does say f dvds and blu-rays I don't know if they're categorizing 4K DVDs as something separate because 4K right. is typically what I try to collect more than anything else. But still, mm -hmm. some people don't have 4K players. Some people don't want, yeah. like, still, surprisingly, some people don't have 4K TVs. Uh, but, you know. Can't relate. That's another story. Can't relate. <laughs> I've got a great system, Adobe Atmos, Adobe Vision. Yeah. It's IMAX enhanced. It's got everything I need. Yeah, we we could we could not leave our place for like a week, and we will be totally fine with the amount of stuff that mm. we could do mm. in, uh, in those systems. But yeah, I, I like that little uh, tangent that we went on because physical media is another thing that um is is not really discussed, obviously in the strikes right now because it doesn't really have like someone connected to it in in a guild that could strike for it. But uh, it's it's another interesting discussion point. Which I, this was already kind of a mini discussion time that we that we did right there. Uh, but I want to give you a, a bit of a, an update on the strikes and specifically the strike uh, of the WGA, the Writers Guild of America, uh, with the SAG. There's no update. Uh, there's nothing in sight, no meetings. But uh, over the month of 
August, there were a bunch of meetings between WGA and the AM, uh, AMTPT uh, or AMP, no, AMPTP. It's, uh, I, don't, I don't even want to know what that stands for, but it's the studios. It's the studio heads uh, on a meeting it's on the August. the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers. Producers. Oh, it's the producers. Right. Okay. Lovely. We love a good producer. Have you read your show notes? Because I just read it off the show notes. Sorry, just saying. Yeah, like, I don't know what, what that means. Mean? And I scrolled down and I was like, it literally says right there, the Alliance of Motion it. Pictures and Television produces Look, AMPTP. Have... <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, it says down there. I just saw. Uh, the thing <laughs> is, we have we have a ton of things in here. I'll, I'll try to give you an overview in like, we're, we're done with this in less than five minutes. Um, but it's going to be hard because a lot happened. Uh, but first, they did meet on August 4th. Uh, and after that meeting, no further talks uh, were planned. Um, on August 10th, uh, the uh, producers invited uh, the writers uh, back for another meeting. Um, on August 11th, they proposed, uh, they, they presented a new proposal. Uh, and um, what's notable about this is that during all of these agreements, they uh, were, in, or during these, not agreements, but during uh, this these conversations, um, it was planned to have kind of a media blackout that not everything would kind of leak back and forth so they could really focus on, uh, I guess, coming to an agreement in the room instead of uh, fighting it outside where it's less productive. Uh, immediately after that meeting uh, was struck, uh, the, the studios did break that agreement and released their statement uh, and said, basically, this is a final and best offer and put it back onto the writers, making it a really unproductive uh session uh but from those meetings uh we have kind of um gotten a bunch of more details of we already knew what the writers were asking for and what the uh studio heads initially uh were offering which was in most case case just like ah see you again bye bye see you again in three years we'll just like keep this going we got nothing to offer and you you did see uh, some counter offers uh, now that were uh, coming closer to an agreement uh, for the studios, uh, for, for the writers, mainly when it comes to salaries and all of that. Uh, I think if this strike was solely based on a pay increase, it would have been long solved. Uh, so I did write a couple of uh, more important points um, down uh, for you to, I guess, uh, ask me what you want to know about. So uh, to give you a list of those, is, uh, I got a, an update on rewrites on uh, premium VOD and, and, and streaming services, uh, minimum staffing, mini rooms, employment length, uh, AI, and streaming residuals. So where do you want to start? Let's do the, the VOD, the streaming. Streaming for 300. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, yes. Go watch the Jeopardy video. <laughs> Go watch a Jeopardy video. It was a lot of fun. Uh, anyway, so the streamers. Uh, so the, the writers asked for um, features uh, with a budget than more than $12 million to be treated as a theatrical movie. Uh, going alongside with that is, is something like streaming residuals, which would be under an, under another point. But it also goes with an increase in uh, wage. And studios offered uh, an 18.3% increase of the minimum rate for films that are uh 96 minutes or longer with a budget of over 40 million so you can see that like they were asking for even uh, smaller productions uh a bit more and they offered 
for only the bigger productions a bit more money uh, to those. Uh, there was also some changes to the minimum um, selling uh, point for a script. I think it's like uh, it was mentioned like 100k uh, and a uh, base of the residual uh, and a residual base increase uh, for some writers. But um, mostly, I think this this comes off as like the the more well-paid writers uh they would they would kind of see an increase of this they try to limit it to i guess uh fewer productions um it, this is i think like pretty much the the least interesting point because it's basically just negotiations of money and here i can see them really uh coming closer uh without an issue whether the, the writers might even agree to this sooner than later um to at least this point um but yeah what's your next question Lachlan? Uh, I guess the streaming stuff isn't that exciting, so I'll forget streaming residuals, but let's go AI. Well, no, the, the AI. residuals let's are actually uh, interesting. I do have a like a quick way to to tell you this because it's essentially just uh, about like releasing the data so you can be paid off the viewership numbers, right, off of this. And the counteroffer from the producers was, yes, we will release this data to like six people in your guild, in the writer's guild and from there on we can aim to create a residual uh, based uh, a residual system for the next uh time we negotiate in three years so that was what they offered no residuals right now but but maybe in three years maybe we'll give you the data uh to like a selective people under like an embargo that they can't leak it anywhere so i, I think that's like where they're gonna keep on fighting uh yeah give me give me the give me the money the money word right now artificial intelligence ai yes uh so the writers are requesting to have a complete ban on ai to be uh used for work but also to uh use it to train um ai and the producers are basically saying no, we're still going to use it. Uh, basically, uh, all they offered was like, hey, AI is not the real writer. Uh, they're not going to be credited as writers. And even if you come on to a project that is has like a base from uh, an AI script, uh, and even if you just like rewrite it, you're not going to be paid the uh, lower rewrite uh, fee, uh, not the, the lower rewrite salary, but as if you were writing an original script, which is... I guess it's something. It's it's not really what the like the the writers want at all, but that's kind of what they offered, and they didn't really address the training AI on pre-existing, I guess scripts. I think they're just going to do it, uh, or like they've already been mm. doing it, and they're gonna continue to do it. That's basically it. Shocker, shocker. I mean, uh, the rest of this, I don't, I have, I have no interest in, but everyone might, everyone else might, but um, yeah. Employment it's, length. Yeah, it's, give me that uh, maybe one. I can give, give, give me you a TLDR. TLDR. Give me that TLDR, one. yeah. Um, well, it's essentially just longer employment for more people. Um, and the response was uh, essentially uh, the, the gray room. The interesting part about this is like that they agreed for like two uh, of the writers uh, to be um, on for a longer period of time. The, uh, the, the, the writers requested like in pre production, during production, and in post production. Uh, there needs to be like a number of writers uh, uh, that are on staff and being paid. And what they offered essentially is that like the showrunner uh, can choose uh, up to two writers uh, for, for this. And it doesn't really give a clear definition of what a showrunner like is, if that's also a writer or if like a producer can say he's a showrunner and then decides. Um, so there's like a lot of 
gray wiggle room in there that, that is a bit uncomfortable. But that's essentially the, the stuff with employment length. But yeah, Article 14, uh, increased race is basically uh, the riders under Article 14. I like the showrunners, the, the, the bigger people that are also like writers and producers. And essentially they are offering them a bit more. It's no surprise there from the guild of producers. Uh, that's essentially also it's something that's that's coming out. The same goes for like employment length and minimum, minimum staffing is essentially the same. Um, and, uh, the mini rooms, uh, is something that, uh, is like to break it down really easy is you employ someone for a shorter period of time for less money, um, and stretch it across a bunch of people instead of like having a, a better group of writers and the writers want to get rid of that. The producer said no. And that's basically where they're at. <laughs> nothing more. Uh, they said like, Hey, you got, you got deployment for 10 weeks. And I think that's pretty much it. Right. Uh, so yeah. That's all uh, what the does this that, yeah. mean? Yeah. What does this mean? Because you're 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 about to head off to Venice. What does this mean for Venice? Venice Film Festival actors there. Yeah. Uh, so there's a couple of people under the agreement, um, under the interim, what's it called? Uh, agreement that it's not nothing to do with the writers, but with the actors that have agreed to it. Uh, someone like Neon, someone like uh, A24 has um, agreed to the terms for the writers and the actors. So someone like Jacob Bellordi for example, is uh, going uh, to be there. I think, uh, who's who's making Ferrari? Apparently, like, Adam Driver is also going to be there because they, they have, have been granted, like, a, a, a thing to, like, a waiver to essentially attend these festivals. So a couple of people are going to be showing up for this, uh, for the festival. But, I mean, Venice is also quite international as well. So you're still going to get to see, like, a, a, a bunch of the cast attend and not really be affected by the strike. But... There's going to be a bigger thing for TIFF because TIFF, uh, Toronto, uh, that happens like two days, uh, overlaps two days with Venice towards the end of it. Um, there's a ton of productions that are like smaller scale, but there's at least like actors that you've seen before in it. And they obviously won't be able to to attend um, a bunch of that stuff. I think it gets in a in a gray wiggle room because of, like a bunch of, uh, I think in TIFF it's a bit less like that, that uh someone something's not attached to a a studio just yet that's more like sundance gun less venice uh the fall festivals usually already have like distribution for their films but if it's not distributed by uh anything and doesn't really have a big production company behind it i think like there's a bit more of a wiggle room for them to still attend because it's an independent production but it gets complicated once it's been picked up by a studio so i don't know i don't know what they'll like plan to do for, for the later festivals like New York and Toronto. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the Zurich Film Festival just announced its opening film, which I'll be attending, and it's uh, the Nick Cage film. And that's an A24 production. So uh, Nick Cage, I don't know if he probably will attend, uh, which is crazy. <laughs> and, and, and he can. Uh, so, you know, you, you can work around it with the studios that have agreed to it, that are uh, like keeping this business like afloat, uh, keeping it going. Uh, so that's great to see. Uh, but yeah, that's essentially the update. Uh, it's back to a standstill because, again, um, the studio heads, uh, like, they met and basically said, this is our best and final offer. Uh, I'll link below, like, a bunch of articles that goes through the proposal that the producers had. Uh, so you can read through it. It's a six-page document if you're interested. Uh, same goes for the writers in their response. Um, but it, it looks like we are heading into a bit more of a blackout era. Uh, where we are not really uh, seeing the these two come to the table. It's going to take a couple more months, I, I believe, which 
yeah, is a bit frustrating. But Lachlan, that's enough from the Rider Strike. So let's talk about what we've been watching. All right, Lachlan, I'm I'm interested because uh, you had a week of actually having a bit of time to to watch some series. So I want to get your thoughts on them. Where do you want to start? Well, uh, when you say I had time, uh, I had to fly to Melbourne. So I had f uh, four hours of flight time, uh, but two ways. So I had eight hours of flying time uh, yeah. to watch stuff. And uh, uh, I watched the first season of The Bear. I haven't mm -hmm. watched season two yet. Uh, so right. don't don't do anything. I know that it go, it gets wild, but I haven't watched season yeah. two. But I watched season one. Holy moly, is that a great show or what? Uh, yeah. Shocker. Uh, I yeah. was uh, amazed. It was mm -hmm. it was awesome, uh, especially because it was solid episodes up into like episode. I think it's like seven, which is shorter. It's like twenty minutes, and it's the the episode where they open online orders. I think it's like yeah. the second last episode or whatever. Mm -hmm. Oh man, it blew me away. Like the whole time, it was just I I love these characters, but I hate them. Why do I feel like this? These are like they're not good people. Uh, mm -hmm. Do I want to be a chef? Uh, I don't think I do anymore. It, it's a crazy, crazy world that they build, especially because there is no prologue to this. You're gonna just thrown mm -hmm. straight into the story midway, where he's mm -hmm. like trying to fix this, where Bear's trying to fix this uh, restaurant and. Yeah, it, it it really does just captivate you straight away. It it really does hold you for that entire like basically four hour runtime of the first season. Uh, but I I am very excited to watch season two. Very excited. Uh, because uh, I think it's gonna be solid. And and the season one finale was very satisfying. Very very satisfying. Yeah, with the with the spaghetti being cooked, that spaghetti. was great. Um, yeah. I also on the flight home uh watched the dry. It's an Australian movie. I don't know if you've seen it, Ewan. Uh, with Eric uh, Banner no. in it, I haven't seen uh, it. Yet, no. I've I, I've seen I'm a bit of a, it. I'm a bit of a sucker for like thrillers, and this sort of satisfied my needs for one of those. So I, uh, I liked mm -hmm. it. I liked it a lot. Uh, there's a second one that's literally, I think, just come out. So I will be Wait, definitely watching the that. To the to the dry. Yeah. Oh. It's called uh, Force of Nature: The Dry Two. Okay. That's uh, I didn't yeah. know that. That's okay. That, that uh, went under second, my radar. Yeah, I think it's there's a there's a it's a novel, so they're based off books. Oh, okay. And yeah, there's another, I think there's another novel that it's based off on. So and uh, I I kind of enjoyed the first one uh, for like the the story that it was trying to tell, and then like the little story history I should say, but in the town. So I'll be mm. excited to see what they do in the second one because I don't think they can really do that again. You can't really have him have more childhood trauma elsewhere. Because he only was a child yeah. once, but maybe it could be. I, I but I feel like the the sequel from the trailers is a bit more psychological thrillery because yeah. uh, it's kind of like he's alone. But any, anyway, uh, and I watched Ahsoka mm -hmm. because I didn't episodes. have access to the preview screenings, and I got to see yeah. the first two episodes when they came out with everybody else. So I was part of the uh, the hype train, and uh, I'm very pleased to say that it was great success. Sweet. Great okay. Yeah, I was wondering because you are more in in that like in the TV shows. Y you uh, have seen like a bunch of them. Um. So you know the animated stuff. Does it translate? I'm the well Star to Wars action? guy. You are I'm the, the Star, Star Wars, Wars guy. guy. You on this podcast. 
Yeah. And I can say that it's the best piece of Star Wars content that involved Jedi. Oh, my light's falling down. That's not great. Uh, I moved my monitors and I realized my light is about to fall off. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> You're turning the dark side. <laughs> it is the best piece of Star Wars content involving a Jedi in a long time. In a yeah, long, yeah. long time. Mm. So I, 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 I seriously think that this is solid. I know that Dave Filoni has pretty much asked for creative control of mm. this series and yeah. i believe he has got that green lit so that he is pretty much running this show and yeah. i think he's going to do his best to make one of the best tv shows that disney plus has ever put out for star wars mm. at the same time trying to fix all the fucking mistakes that has ever been done so yeah. i've already seen some wild fan theories about a bunch of characters named uh characters we've already met who they could be in the future timeline of Star Wars because this obviously takes place episode 9, 10, 11. This is the best where this timeline takes place. Uh, so obviously we have got like old Luke Skywalker around, which is kind of funny because Luke ages very quickly. Ahsoka doesn't look like she aged a day since she last saw Luke Skywalker, which might be my only issue if, if there's something like that happens where they meet each other again. But right. um yeah, is, I, I, I wasn't exciting. sure about the I'm timeline. Excited. Wait, how much further from like the Mandalorian are we? Are we here? Oh, it... wow. Oh, okay. I, I wasn't aware of that. <laughs> I thought it was just like it was like in the same thing because they are building to that like uh, crossover Dave Filoni Star Wars film, right? Uh, so I was uh, I thought that like all of them would come together, which wouldn't really work. If she's in the future here. Uh, so I don't I don't know what what the plan is there, but okay. Look, I just gotta catch up with um, Clone Wars, and especially I think for this relevant, uh, what's what's relevant. I don't think it's for so, Sabine Wren sorry, Rebels. I don't think it's like it's it's not like mid like nine ten eleven. It's like just before that, so it's, right, it's yeah, prior yeah. to that. But it's that's kind of like the timeline where it's closer to than sort of the end of Return of the Jedi. So right. it, it is in a it is in a a place where it's kind of like. I think, timeline-wise, Luke has already built his temple to, like, go train the... I can't even remember Kylo Ren's real name. Ben? Ben? Ben. Yeah. Ben, yeah. Ben? Ben Solo. Uh, to ben, be no, trained as a Jedi. Yeah. Uh, but I'm pretty sure, like, Rey's born. There's all that jazz. Like, this this is ready to take place because, obviously, the Empire's fallen. Um, mm. And there's still some people who are, uh, like, uh, who are aligned with the Empire because we saw that in, in episode... Two, one. Yeah. I can't remember which one it was. Mm. Uh, exactly where they kind of have those uh, people who shoot them up at the base. Yeah. For their I mean, I also forgot that like Mandalorian is also said after after six. It's after. Yeah, uh, yeah. So it, it's um, it's during that yeah, period. Uh, but I'm pretty sure yeah. it's it's a while later. Uh, okay. From when we last saw Ahsoka. Right. Because uh, so I, they're probably just going sure... to skip ahead with Mandalorian then. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that um, this this could set up a, a, a decent entryway into episode 9, 10, 11 and could maybe give mm. some backstory to characters that we we would like to have more backstory on. Right. Okay. I don't know. I've read yeah. some fan theories that I like. I've read some fan <laughs> theories that I don't like. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm all fan theoried up. Um, I've also read way too many, uh, like, those are fan fictions um, <laughs> storylines. So, yeah. yeah. 
I, I'd I, I'd read a fan fiction storyline for uh, what's her name, Sabine Wren, because um, my God, oh, that's yeah. a good casting. Ah. Holy shit! I don't want to go further into that, but uh, yeah, I think that's all you've been watching. That's it. Yeah, uh, I've been watching a couple of things. Uh, again, gonna probably do a bonus video to talk about like the new Nick Cage film, Sympathy of the Devil. Uh, there's a Michael Sarah film called The Adults. Uh, Miguel wants to fight. Uh, another little Hulu production that was quite interesting. And I watched some really bad films. What comes around bad things and the list. And uh, don't ask me why I watch these. I, I don't want to justify it because there's no justification for it. But I did. Uh, but I also watched a Blue Beetle, the latest outing in the DC. Uh, you now? I think it's not the EU anymore. They have left. They have Brexited out of uh the EU. Um, no extended universe anymore. And I think this is supposedly kind of more of a transition point to the, the new era under uh, James Gunn. Um, but I don't know, considering how poorly this did at the box office uh, this last week, how much of this character we will see, especially in the standalone film. Hopefully he will return uh, because it's, uh, it's fun. It's better than The Flash. It's better than the last few films it's probably the the best dc film since the suicide squad uh but that's not really saying much because it's been on such a like a low quality point similar to the mcu um but i think here you get a really generic superhero story that's kind of a mixture of like iron man and, and uh spider-man and a bunch of like different characters uh it, it does have um its own identity a bit and some characters to root for but uh i wouldn't call it like um a promising like feature uh start for for uh for this new uh dcu but but it's all right if you're interested if you're into superhero stuff then you probably won't like it as much i think if it's an entry point for you then it's like oh this is really good this is i'm seeing this for the first time but if you are into superhero films then you're like oh i've seen this like 20 times before um but it's okay uh then on netflix there was the monkey king uh an animated film that's about the monkey king and he is uh i think uh, like I've, I've seen this in recent years this is like a game where uh, this uh chinese uh folklore tale or whatever i'm not too uh, too familiar with it is like the the monkey is challenging the monkey king is challenging uh the gods uh, uh by like i don't know having like a staff and he fights people and he's, he's kind of a, a bit of a dickhead he's arrogant but um <laughs> that's essentially a story i don't know this is not a ton going on and this as well it's like a bunch of like fighting he him being a dick the entire time um and that that's the that's the movie uh and uh it was all right it wasn't wasn't good uh but yeah some background entertainment uh same goes for vacation friends too i don't know Lachlan, if in 2021 you sought out this uh john cena the uh, little uh ray harry uh it's uh it's all right it's crazy it's like the same type of humor where um, they go on vacation, they meet someone crazy and do a bunch of crazy stuff. And then it transitions back to, into their normal lives and they want to keep that under control here. They've already been friends. So they need to introduce like some new crazy people in it. That's essentially like the, 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 yeah, the gimmick of, of this, uh, there's a dad that comes back for one of the characters that is like a criminal. Um, and it does like the comedy thing that I really don't like that's, uh, like, uh, characters are something impossible um and it's like and it, it, it the tension is all there and it gets solved by just someone 
being perfect or something really impl uh, something implausible happening and that's the source of the the comedy and they do it like a couple of times in the first one and in the second one um and it's just really not funny <laughs> and it's just like aggressively unfunny as well in in this it's it's yeah really not good uh but something that was quite decently entertaining was the new uh adam sandler produced and also starring uh film called you are so not invited to my bat mitzvah which which uh stars like uh, adam sandler's wife uh and his two daughters and one of them the younger one uh, having her own uh bat mitzvah and all of the drama that surrounds that and I think it's I think it's it's pretty good. It's actually like it, it's surprisingly well done. It has like some generic tropes that you get, uh, I guess, if you are in an Adam Sandler production. Um, but it's got a bit of heart as well. So I would actually uh, give a light recommendation to that film. Um, but yeah, that's all I've been watching. Uh, and Lachlan, I think for you, you can skip out on on all four of those. I don't think I would recommend any of them uh, no to you worries. directly. Uh, but yeah, that's that. Apart from sympathy, sympathy for the devil, you might even enjoy that. Although it's not a good film, uh, but it's got Nick Cage in it, so maybe that sells it to you. Have you seen Sound of Freedom? Is that worth seeing? Yeah, no, <laughs> it's not good. Uh, it, it might be worth yeah. seeing for the case, uh, for the reason that it's like been doing really well at uh, domestic box office in the states. I think it's like doing better than like Mission Impossible and 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 Indiana Jones, which is crazy. But uh, yeah, it's it's like. For the type of story about child trafficking that has a bit of controversy surrounding it because um, it's not like all really factual the way that it depicts stuff. But I mean, that's all based on true events type of things. Yeah. But um, yeah, the messaging behind it is a bit more annoying than the film itself. It's it's fine. It's not like uh, laughably bad or anything. It's, it's a decently made movie. Um, but yeah, that's that. Let's talk about an actual great movie, my possible favorite film of the year so far, and it has a great chance of actually being that by the end of it. So I'm gonna, I guess, spoil my thoughts here already. But Lachlan, could you read us the logline for Past Lives? Nora and Sung, two deeply connected childhood friends, are west apart after Nora's family emigrates from South Korea. Two decades later, they are reunited in New York for one faithful week as they confront notions of destiny, love, and the choices that make a life in this heart-rendering modern romance. Oh, that's very sweet. Lachlan, thank you so much for reading that. I think this logline is, like, this movie is really hard to describe in a logline because it is so subtle in its notions of the things that it lists here that it definitely depicts but it's like when you describe it like this, it sounds kind of pretentious, if I'm being honest. Uh, but maybe this movie is also a bit pretentious, pretentious because I liked it a lot. Uh, it comes from first-time director Celine Song um, and is uh, really closely uh, based on her own experience of immigration and the connections she, ha she had to her home country in South Korea. Uh, you can really feel that throughout the whole movie. It has been received uh, so far really positively, uh, landing in the IMDb uh, in the IMDb top 50. Technically, it doesn't really show up there, but it should be around place 100 with an 8.3 average rating. But also, uh, more notably and more importantly, on Letterboxd, uh, it's at spot 127 with a 4.3 average rating. On Metacritic, it has gotten a 94. 
that's really really high and i mean it deserves it so i i, I won't fault them for that uh but it's also a, a movie that uh, doesn't overstay its welcome with 106 minutes uh it comes from the studio a24 or i guess it was picked up there after its sundance premiere earlier this year um there was no details about the budget that i could find that were verified but it's made um 11 million so far at the box office in the states alone but it is uh for example just now this week rolling out in international markets here for me in switzerland uh, i do have a poster for it as well by the way but my cats kind of started playing with it and they ripped it apart uh on the wall uh, I, don't, I don't know what's been happening um, but yeah, that, that's, that's what's happened. Uh, but yeah, uh, it is also now out on VOD. So for anyone who wants to see it uh, and has access to a VPN, you can definitely get it somehow. So go seek it out because we will be talking full on spoilers, uh, for this movie. And, uh, Lachlan, before we jump into, uh, like some actual like discussion points and questions that I have, uh, to you that are maybe a bit more philosophical than I like, uh, yeah, then our usual reviews. Uh, what did you make of the movie overall? Uh, it was stunning. However, it did take me a little bit to get into it. I'm not going to yeah. lie. I actually watched this in two parts. I started watching it on, I think it was Thursday or Friday. I think it was Friday. Mm -hmm. I started watching it on Friday and I just was not in the right mood to watch a film like this. So yeah. I had to stop and I was only about 20 to 30 minutes in. And it doesn't really get rolling, I, I would say, until about 45 to an hour hour into this film, which this film is only yeah. uh, 106 minutes long. So we're, we're, yeah. we're not talking a very long runtime. But mm -hmm. it, it did take me a bit to get into it. I When I started rewatching it this afternoon, uh, or started to finish it off this afternoon, I rewinded uh, about 10 minutes back so that I was still mm. kind of where I was, and it pulled me in. It really yeah. grabbed me all of a sudden, which was shocking because when I stopped watching it on Friday, I was reading, people were like, how did you get engaged with this so quickly? Because people were talking about how they instantly fell back into their seats in the cinema while watching it. They were just absorbed yeah. by this story. And I was like, okay, yeah, sure. I, I, I didn't get it. I don't see why. But it's a great example of how your mood and your mindset of any particular day can affect how you actually perceive a film and, and what it's trying to do and what, what story mm. it's trying to tell all of a yeah. sudden i'm in so mm. i start watching it and uh my god was it uh stunning it was uh really uh naughty rooting for these guys because yeah. <laughs> you don't they, they they shouldn't right they i mean she's yeah. committed he's not with a girl but is yeah but we want I, them to I be together. No, well, to me, I think uh, pretty early on for me, the experience was I want all three of them to be happy. Come come out mm. of this like the least bit hurt. That's kind of the, the emotion I had. So I wasn't really as invested in um, the reuniting the like, they obviously all have like chemistry with each other. E even the two guys have inyun between the two of them, like they mentioned in the bar scene later on. Uh, but uh i i don't know i i wasn't really thinking about that like that part of the romance so much as this was also about them like as as holistically as as like people uh and how they experience hmm. the world and how they grow and how they change um as, as people as they grow up and how they grow apart and different versions of the same person that you know for 
one pod and then you don't know them anymore. It's so many, there's so many interesting concepts. And I rewatched this film last night. Because um, I really wanted it to be fresh for this, for this discussion. And the first time around, uh, I did see it in a theater. So there was no ability for me to like pause and take in. But this time around, I think it, it took me uh, at least two hours to watch the film. Because sometimes I just wanted to like rest on a moment and and really take it in and th there's, there's so much depth in uh a lot of the scenes where i just wanted to read something like into the, the way that it's framed like for example uh when they first like reun when they reunite in in uh new york and there's a like that quick cutting point like i think the editing is something that really stands out in this film where it, it uses those like quick hints of, of a flashback that we've seen not not a flashback but like a previous moment in in the movie that we've already experienced that is like also now visually tied back to the, the current moment that is happening for these characters and, and i think like one of the things that it uses is when they reunite it shows them as kids playing in this thing in this like stone thing where there's a bunch of cubes and they can look through them and they're like looking at each other and playing and then they're in front of like this larger uh, stone structure that's behind them and it feels like these characters have grown up but also the surrounding circumstances around them have kind of grown and th th there's less i don't know it's just like a specific scene that i really read a lot into but there's a ton of that stuff in this film which uh really makes me love it because i can experience it just for the emotional engagement that i have with these characters but i can also try to really take a lot away for myself and it's kind of been the experience for everyone I've talked to about it like a lot of the people a lot of people get really emotional towards the end of the film but then also the the aftermath <laughs> that is like the experience of this film is also uh like the discussions that come from it um the similar experience that people have had meeting people and then disconnecting from them there's a ton of stories that kind of surface from uh this art kind of bringing this out so yeah i mean i've already said it i absolutely love this film um and it did not disappoint although there was a ton of hype from it coming out of sundance people raving about it and um i'm glad it li lived up to that uh but but yeah that's pretty much my uh condensed thoughts uh Lachlan, where do you want to where do you want to go from here where do you, what do you want to talk about uh uh i don't know I have no I don't idea. Know. There's a lot okay, okay. i wouldn't say there's a lot to talk about but i think there's a lot of uh standout things to talk about yeah does that make sense you mean like there's not not a ton of like big moments that that are worth like breaking down yeah. in a review form? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's there's definitely just the case. A lot to break down for this 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 film. I think like what I just did is like breaking it it down in in moments, and I think that's usually like less interesting uh, as as an audience listening to to a review because it's less working with our experiences and it's more descriptive of what you've already experienced in the theater something i do want to quickly shout out it's just like something that they do right is the tech stuff in that um 12 years later after they, they are kids and they're kind of um reuniting digitally through facebook and skype and it's a little touch but getting like you know we've both lived through that era uh where you use that stuff and they get it perfectly uh they, yeah they just get it perfectly mm. and it's so rare that a movie gets that i was like i'll applaud it for that that's that's really well done we could also i guess praise the setting uh for the most mm. part this this film is set in new york city which isn't the most romantic city on earth and yeah i think that they have shot it in such a way that makes it quite beautiful so i i must say i am quite impressed by the cinematography 
first mm. and foremost, yeah. of the actual landscape of New York. It isn't the prettiest place in the world, but it does make it quite, quite beautiful, uh, strategically showing off some very pretty landscapes and some very iconic, uh, iconic landscapes, I should say, as well. And also just shooting it at, you know, golden hour makes it look stunning as well. But uh, yeah. it's not just, not just the landscape uh, that you get. I would find that this film, it's quite interesting. It, it, it doesn't put you with them. It, it mm-hmm. often has you, for the majority of the film, away on a long yeah. lens. And it kind of comes in to that conversation. Which it's, it's exactly is, how the movie starts, nice. you know. That's like that how, it's, how it great. presents the whole story, yeah. I think that's kind of consistent, it's, right, with the two onlookers discussing who they are to each other. And that's kind of what you're doing the whole... It's a bit meta that way. It's like, it's, at first, I didn't really like those those framing devices where, um, I don't know, the, the entry point to that story. Uh, but it, it does it... I don't know, it, it works for me, ultimately, where I don't dislike it anymore towards the end of it all, because I am exactly doing that. I'm wondering, like, what are these people to each other? Um, and yeah, kind of nicely ties it together. In talking about framing, uh, leads me on to uh, how much of this film is framed looking through a window, through a mirror, through a like a hole in something yeah. where the story actually is taking place. That is another really cool element that I loved because it's just again it it seems like we're peeping into this into this relationship. We shouldn't be a part of it in any kind of way. It feels yeah. like we should just move on and not kind of look but you can't help but look uh like there's some great shots where they you know uh on the on the uh on the train you know you're not in the same carriage you're in a separate carriage yeah. looking through the two windows into the next when uh mm-hmm. Nora's sleeping uh her husband uh closes the door on the taxi and through the window that that's also really awesome um yeah. in her apartment when she arrives home from the first outing uh with yeah. her husband again, it, it's it's shot through a window, and, and then the mirror um, on the side. He, yeah, or, or do you mean like the, the first? Oh no, maybe it's the second uh, no, meeting. It, when, and then the second one when they're when he's on the side, she's in yeah, the mirror, yeah. she's not there, and it's the same thing when it comes to framing nothing with a window. Mm-hmm. One of the shots right at the end when it's just uh, uh, Arthur and and Jung, it, it's like it's their backs. You don't see them at the mm-hmm. front. Right, you, yeah. you've got the back of them. You can see mm. the people that were probably having that conversation earlier. You can see a mirror for the bartender's face, but like you don't, you're not actively in this conversation, which yeah. makes you feel like should I be listening to them talk about this? It feels too personal. So it's something that yeah. I really liked about that cinematography is how personal it felt, but how intrusive I felt as a viewer watching mm. these people's lives like unfold i mean it's also how like hey song feels for the most part of it because he he is in a way intruding um but like the discussions that nora and him have towards the end where they uh in the bar where they basically are talking about like what what they mean to each other and like how he's he's wondering the what ifs of of their potential lives and she she says she she never was that person in the future because he he never met that person they they disconnected when mm. they were kids um and i i think that's like what it ultimately leads to is that is uh like that really nice moment between the two of them where they're like speculating what they've been in previous lives and it's like in in a way how she uses inyung in 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 the first thing was like it's just something that Koreans say to, to seduce someone and here that they're using it 
to cope with the connection that they have that that they could have had and they might have had in a different life but they're not having it right now um and it's really interesting how like their cultural stuff uh like how they how they use it to to essentially cope or really they don't they don't seem at least Nora doesn't seem unhappy with her life at all uh you get a bit less on Yesung um but uh they 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 end up in a place where they're obviously sad that they are not in the same place anymore um because they are so connected but uh, they, they have resolved kind of what, what was between them. So this whole movie feels incredibly compassionate for um, all of its characters and how they interact with each other as well, which is something that we, I think, rarely see because it, it is usually framed in a way it's like because these people are destined to be together, it's okay if someone else who wasn't meant to be that person gets cut out like the the American like husband in this, right? But that's not what this movie is about. It's way more about like how we how, how we change as as people and how we grow and how like the life that we currently live is the life that we're supposed to live because we're living it. It doesn't you don't need to be in this constant state of, of what if. Uh and I think it tackles that like beautifully. Another idea that comes up is like the the dreaming, the like disconnect that the husband feels from uh that like uh, Arthur feels from Nora, uh because she dreams in Korean. And I think that like brought up a whole different thing that uh, sent, uh, sent me down a spiral of is like the subconscious part of you like this disconnected thing that's not really because it's it's connected to you but you're not steering it and how much of that is like how how could you even be connected to something like that like he, he, he wants that because he feels like maybe she'll slip away and she has like different dreams that in her when, she, when she's conscious she's kind of hiding them um and uh yeah i don't know that, that whole thing was also interesting to me this whole movie made me like want to stop and just think about stuff for a couple of minutes and it, and it and it did uh but yeah i just wanted to, to ask you like if you've anything if you ever like encountered anything close to that like in Jung, that that faith thing with someone or where you have in a similar uh like position where you can kind of connect to what they were going through like can i relate to an experience that these characters have had yeah, where you feel like you have that connection with someone, maybe, or like something slipped away, or I don't know, any anything that kind of translates it to it. Because I like I felt similar in that way, where it's it's a nice coping thing with um maybe people who who passed away. Uh, at least for me, when you when you feel like not in reincarnation, but like some kind of presence that is still so somewhat a, a there. Uh, I don't I don't know if that makes any sense, but um. Yeah, I don't know. I just found the the concept of Inyun kind of kind of nice. It could just be me though, because I'm not a big believer in like fate. If that uh, makes yeah, any me sense, neither. Like, I'm, I I'm, yeah. I'm not a big believer in that. So for me, I would say no. I don't think I've ever had like I've mm -hmm. I've, I've definitely met people uh, like once offs who I've just connected with immediately because we have similar like outlooks on life and similar yeah. likes and dislikes. The, the best one is like my favorite thing when I go and meet someone for the first time is, is I'll always ask, what's your favorite movie of all time? And then mm. people will sit there and then I'll say, don't worry. Cause this is literally a character test right now. If you tell me your favorite movie is, you know, uh, yeah, before sunrise, I'm going to be yeah. like, okay, cool. This person probably has a very nice connection to somebody that they love. They'd be like, yada, yada. But if someone tells me yeah. their favorite movie of all time is like, I don't know, Human Centipede 3, I'm going to be like, okay, you're a bit of a weird man. I don't want to talk to you anymore. So yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. guess like 
I've I've had connections with people before, but I wouldn't say that I'd I'd say that this is fate that we've we've met each other. It's just right, yeah. People, it's a small world. Like honestly, it's, mm, there's going to mm. be similarities. There's only so many ways you can do a certain thing, and there's only so many ways a person can be a bit different. But it's a mixed match yeah. of similarities that you'll have with people, and yeah. I think that's like nothing to do with the film, uh, though. But I think that like the like more modern age of um like online dating is sometimes like a bit similar to this where you grow really close to someone uh similar to what they do uh with like over over skype and talking to someone without like actually ever anything coming from it and it's this weird like pretty intimate connection that you might form with someone without like i don't know still having that distance between them uh, so I feel like there, a lot of people uh, might be able to to relate to it as well, and like I, what I found myself a bit in there as well. But yeah, I, I think uh, that's pretty much all I wanted to ask you in here. Uh, I think it does all of it really well. A shout out to the uh, child performers. I'm usually a hater uh, when I don't like it, and I definitely verbalize it. They were really good in this. Uh, I liked them a lot. I also liked uh, how. Uh, Can the, I get a replay yeah. on that? Did you want to just say he liked the child performers? Wow, incredible! Yeah, stuff. they were they were great. This movie and must I have think, done wonders for you, bro. Uh, Teo Yo, uh, the the actor for Han Song, uh, Hey Song, um, also uh, kind of looked at because they shot the the child stuff before. Looked at the performance of the kid and kind of modeled, uh, like kind of took that for his performance. The way that he usually stands and he kind of leans forward. Uh, a bit the way that he, uh, like his shoulders, he, he's really insecure, uh, in in that way, like at least physically. Although he is like a, a I'd say rather tall man, uh, is like taller than than off and stuff like that. He still feels like smaller in the way that he, he behaves, and I think that's like it's something that you you wouldn't really point out when you, when you're watching it, but it's definitely something you can feel. Um, you can kind of feel his insecurity and him stumbling around. And they, they carry that through from child to adult uh, pretty seamlessly. What do you think about the, the ending, the sidewalk there? Were you, like, rooting for something specific to happen? Or what was, what was your thoughts going through that scene? I wasn't rooting for something to happen. Yeah. I was... Good on you. <sighs> the, the film ends in such an interesting way where you're watching this story where you know she's committed, he's committed, he likes her... You, I believe she likes him because they've come to this agreement that it's like, what if we didn't do this? This is our, this is the life we're living. But what if? Mm. But and they know that they would work together, and we know that they are meant to be together. Maybe not work right. together, but they know that they 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 wanted to be together, and it hurts to know that they can't because it won't work. It, it, it's it's not practical. He lives in Korea. She lives in New York. One of them could move, but yeah. one of them is sacrificing everything to be with the other. And that's what separated them in the first place. And that was mainly her saying, hey, Nora going, hey, I don't want to do this because I need to focus on myself. And mm. what's interesting about that is that it, at the end, it's it's really Sung going, no, I don't think I would work you're the one who changes too much in my world. You stay here. So yeah, yeah. for me, what what I liked about this ending is that it was an understanding between the two and mm-hmm. it was an agreement between the two that, yeah. yes, we are soulmates, but 
in this reality we're not yeah the, the like the concept of of inyong maybe in in this they don't have the like 8000 layers of whatever uh but they might have had it in a different life yeah I've, like how he describes it is also really poignant and beautiful ways like in in this life you're someone who leaves for me and for after you after you're someone who stays uh it's 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 such a it's such a nice way of putting it um where did they, they i guess not not in the same circumstance that they i think also uh what they do well is something really uh subtle too about like the the cultural points of course of like he lives still with his family he's so korean like that scene where she basically says oh he's so korean like 15 times it's it's, it's kind of funny it, like greta lee really brings out that <laughs> that performance she's, <laughs> she's she's um a ton of fun to listen to as she's like trying to i guess make sense of her thoughts there but like immediately when we next see her her parents have completely gone for her from her life so her lifestyle has become incredibly american obviously her parents are still mm. in canada they didn't like uh, mi uh migrate down to to the states i think right it it becomes way more of like she has the cultural identity of of the united states a bit more and her connection that ties her back to south korea because a whole family moved is only hey song um so when she like picks up korean again and starts to like write it out as she struggles with it uh when she's like 23 i think it's also like he symbolizes the connection she has back to her country and maybe that's also more uh what makes the connection strong for her because she is someone who who uh like kind of left and is making a life in a different place uh so he could also like a bit more symbolize that for her at that point in her life and on the like uh on the other side of of the same coin is for hey sung he's she's like the the thing of like moving away and doing uh, this potential of a different life that uh, maybe he doesn't even want to lead because he doesn't seem to be someone who, who wants to leave Seoul. So uh, I think it goes about like this whole subject in such an a, an adult way without involving any sort of drama where it doesn't need to have drama. And uh, it's such a change of, of pace for what we usually get in, in romance film where the, all of the passion just boils up until it explodes. But here it just feels like way more uh i don't know it, it just feels way more real and grounded and i can really appreciate that in in uh good romance which is what i'm a sucker for i love a good romance story that's pretty much all my thoughts Lachlan, unless you want to add something to it i'm i'm down to share that's my five my star rating down. yeah it's a, it's a five star uh immediately five banger my first watch on my second watch i it, it's my type of genre uh so i i really adored it what about you Lachlan? Uh, I might have to give it a rewatch eventually in one big sitting uh, from start to end. But for me, I'm giving it a four. Hey, I can cope with that. We can still, we still have enough layers of Inyung between us to keep this thing going. If I said uh, three and a half, a what would have happened? I would have been hurt. I would have been definitely yeah, hurt okay, if I said cool. three and a half. Okay. I think a four is what I expected from, from you uh, for, for this movie. Um, and right. yeah. It's a, it's a good rating. It's a really good movie. Um, I think a four star is, is really good. And it's a number after all. We just had like a discussion about it. Uh, that's the more important part of it. So remember that, uh, guys uh, and gals and everyone. Uh, anyways, if you were to pair up uh, this movie um, after you've uh, grabbed a couple of tissues maybe and uh, drenched uh, or dried your tears, uh, what would you pair up with it? 
Well, I would say grab some more tissues oh. uh, and grab some more popcorn because you're going to yep. be crying even further when you okay. hear of the sad, sad separation from any of these one, two, three, four quad features that I'm about to do for quad you. Features because I are couldn't you doing? decide Quintuple? on one. Okay. I'm doing a quad feature. I'm doing La La Land, Lost in Translation, 500 Days of Summer, and Brokeback Mountain. All movies where two people can't be together for whatever reason mm-hmm. and don't get together. Well, they get together, but some of them don't get together. Some of them get together, but some of them don't get together. But most of them, you know, yeah, can't yeah. be together by the end. Maybe um, in another life they can be together because they're soulmates. But in the reality yeah. of these movies, they are not. Also, you and I knew you were going to pick one of these movies as your double feature. Yeah. I knew it. <laughs> I'm so I obvious. I, I look. I picked one of the before films. Um, I think the one that makes the most sense is the one in between. Uh, before sunset, the one in Paris, because it is uh, you know, about like forty-five, maybe fifty minutes in. Um, starts the thing where Hasung uh, Sung has arrived in New York, and essentially, uh, before sunset is this entire thing that plays out that. If you haven't seen it, I actually don't want to spoil it. Uh, but this movie uh, concludes in a way where it's... I guess I am spoiling it. It's a bit open-ended. I, I think it's implied, but it's not really uh, giving you a conclusive answer. And I think that's that's really nice. And it ties kind of perfectly into this film where... I think both of these films have a happy ending. But one of them... One of the endings feels happier, if that makes sense. Um, and it's my favorite trilogy of all time. So go give the whole Before trilogy a watch. If you haven't seen Before sunrise then you gotta uh, to watch before sunset then you have to watch two films so i guess depending on how many of the before films you've seen this is also a uh a, a triple feature not a double feature so lots of stuff to watch this week um lachlan i think you mentioned it earlier i don't know if i brought it up again i'm going to venice <laughs> i'm going to the venice film festival sure <laughs> and uh we'll be on um break <laughs> we'll be on break next week uh but then we'll be back for the Venice Film Festival recap, not with Lachlan. So Lachlan, you are getting two weeks off from the podcast. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, we will be premiering our new podcast series, A Return of Roll That Again, where we actually talked about that very series that I just described. So it's the perfect time to actually pair it up as a double feature. Um, over the span of me being in Venice, you'll get those Roll That Again episodes for uh, a bunch of films. Uh, we talked about Blade Runner, the original Ridley Scott film, and the Before Trilogy. And then, uh, in time for the release of Equalizer 3, uh, we talked about the first two films of that series as well. And then we will be recording, or I will be recording, not with Lachlan, but with upcoming festival correspondent uh, Kevin. Uh, we'll be discussing a couple more uh, films there. So, uh, yeah, uh, happy to be launching this kind of side spin-off podcast uh, once again. And yeah, we'll be ch- chatting about some older films, but there's a couple of new releases uh, that are coming out in the next two weeks. One of them being uh, the Netflix live action adaptation of the anime One Piece. Uh, Going to be interesting to watch that one. Lachlan, are you planning to to check it out when it releases? Uh, maybe. I might just wait to see uh, what everyone says and then right. I'll pitching for an episode or two yeah i I might watch it before i even see one episode of the of the the anime i don't know how sacrilegious that is but it's what i'll be doing 
Uh, then on September 1st, uh, we get the Equalizer 3. Uh, and on September 8th, we are getting the third outing as well in a, not an action franchise, but in my big fat Greek wedding. Um, <laughs> I recently actually watched these two. Uh, I watched it earlier this year because uh, Kelly told me to, and I did. Uh, and I didn't really love them, but I guess they're getting a third film. And then uh, there's another outing in the Nun series. The Nun 2 comes out on September 8th as well. Uh, but yeah, like I said, we'll be back on September 12th with a recap for the Venice Film Festival. Um, in the meantime, you can uh, find, I guess, some short reviews on my personal YouTube channel that's linked below. And uh, in between um, our screenings, we'll make sure to post our brief thoughts and uh, written reviews over on Letterboxd. Also follow us on our socials on Instagram and X or Twitter or whatever you want to call it. Uh, we'll be sharing, uh, um, I guess, our experience from Venice there as well. Uh, but then when we're back, Lachlan, I think we got a supersized episode coming up because we'll be talking about a couple of films that released and also have now released in Australia as well, namely one, um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem will finally be out. And I think you'll probably give it a, a try, right? Uh, of course, yes. 100%. Then you'll also be watching Equalizer 3, and I might even get you to see A Haunting uh, in Venice after I've been back from Venice. Couldn't be in a better theme then. And then a uh, movie I read, already saw, and Lachlan, I think you got a screener for it as well, is Theater Camp. So we'll have like a supersized episode talking about a bunch of films when we're back on September 18th. But uh, yeah. And I'm sure we're going to have a ton of stuff to talk about with the writer's strike. Uh, hopefully i hope we have a ton to discuss discuss by then they meet again uh otherwise like i think it was like for a month or so there was just no update inside mm. but uh but yeah <laughs> was a bit of an overview we did this i uh, hope you appreciate it let us know what you thought uh of it and let us know what you thought of, of the movies we discussed here um and yeah that's pretty much it lachlan i'll see you in in two weeks so enjoy venice you and thank you all right see ya bye bye <laughs> Bastard. Bye, everybody.